Well, good morning. I feel a little bit like if one of my favorite sports is baseball. You know this about me. Uh, and you also know the Giants currently have the best record in baseball, but I'll just leave it there. But what I notice when I watch baseball games, right, is often when a starting pitcher comes in, it's been four or five days since they've pitched, and they're most vulnerable in the first inning. They're trying to dial things in and knock the rust off. Um, today's going to be a first inning sermon. And I apologize in advance for that, but you'd be surprised how quickly you start to feel a little rusty when you haven't preached for a few weeks. I, I do want to thank the elders and, and this church for giving me uh, that, that time to, to step out of that weekly rhythm, which is really just a weekly panic. <laughs> it's a countdown. I'm most relaxed somewhere on Sunday evening, and then this clock starts ticking as I'm getting closer to the next Sunday. And, and when you're kind of caught in that rhythm, it's really hard for you to ever step back and think long-term about not just preaching, but about church and about uh, my place in church and about our places in church, about where God's calling us to go. Uh, and, and as much as I believe the Holy Spirit's able to help people do that on a weekly basis, you know, Jesus models for us time of retreat time of, of disengagement, time with the Father to then come back in a new way. Uh, and so I, I hope and I trust uh, that this past month of, of prayer and reflection and the time that, that we spent listening to other voices that blessed us over the past uh, four, three or four weeks, I just pray that, that God is present in this morning, present not only in my words, but also in your hearts and in your souls. Now, having said that, you know, anytime you, you put a, a sermon series together and you pick a title and then it goes out a couple of days before Sunday and the title is What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There, I, anxiety starts to build. Like what stunt is Jared about to, to dump on us? He's been away for four weeks. Maybe he's forgotten, you know, us. Maybe he's got this plan that, that he's going to preach four sermons and then there's going to be this huge, big new initiative that we're going to launch as a church. I, I don't have that. And I need you to know that because I need you to listen to this series the, the way that I want, I want to share it with you. And that is that I am tired and weary of trying to be the answer person. And I'm not saying you expect that of me. I'm just saying I expect that of myself. And I've had church people in my life expect that of me. And I've, I've had moments where I, I don't really know what's going to come next. But I pretend like I do in order to help calm somebody else. But I need to confess to you at the outset here that what, what the next four weeks in this series are going to be is me sharing some thoughts that I, I believe, I'm convinced, God is, is working in my life, but I am not up here to, to think that we're going to have four sermons and then we're going to totally reconfigure our church, okay? And part of that is because I know that all of us come to church with, with change deficits running in our hearts, because our world is changing faster and faster and faster all the time. And if you know anything about history, you know that, that we are exposed to more change, more unsettling, unpredictable situations 
really in a 24-hour period than a lot of people experience in their entire lives and other generations and other times and places in the world. And so we, we need places in our lives that don't ever change. We need places in our lives we can rely on. And for a lot of us, the one place that we really hope that'll be true is church. And so when change happens at church, we can find ourselves just freaking out. Because we feel like, well, I, I can't change you know, the, the pace of, of my family life and how it's constantly reconfiguring itself. I can't, I, I don't have any control over how things are changing at, at my workplace. I, I don't have control over how things are changing inside of me. I definitely don't have any control over how things are changing in our culture. I, I have no ability to fully understand what is going on with our politics. We come to church with this change deficit. And so when anything happens at church that's different, we can often find ourselves unconsciously way overreacting. I know I can. So I just want to say up front here, I'm going to be sharing these thoughts. They're coming from me. They're, I, look, church leaders should have agendas. What they shouldn't have are hidden secret agendas. Okay? And we live in a world where we're constantly skeptical that whoever's up talking has a secret hidden agenda. What I'm trying to say to you is I don't. I don't. And I'm not going to lay out how to solve the future because I don't know how. I'm just wanting us to face the fact that in order for us to faithfully share the gospel in an ever-changing world, we're going to have to change how we're engaging that world. If we don't, we're going to be left behind. We're going to be irrelevant. And I think, brothers and sisters, don't we feel more and more like the world is leaving the church behind? That, that we don't have the seat at the table we once had, and when we start to lose that, we start to get really anxious. And we start, when, when you start to lose a sense of control, you feel out of control, right, by definition, and you'll do anything to try to get a sense of control back. You might defend behaviors that are indefensible if it'll give you a sense of control. You may follow someone you shouldn't be following if they'll promise you that maybe they can give you a sense of control. You may treat people in ways you should never treat people if it gives you just this idea that maybe when it's over, I'll have more of that control I used to have. And brothers and sisters, I think we're watching the church in North America wrestle with the fear that, that comes when the world is changing and it's not just changing, but it feels like it's moving away from us and we can start to get to a place where all we feel is defensive and we lash out. And we get aggressive in ways that don't remind us or anyone else of Jesus. And we call it Jesus' behavior. we got to stop that. I've got to stop that. And one of the ways we do that is just admit and face the fact that Christians throughout time have always had to figure out how to relate to a world that to some degree is moving away from the church. And how do you respond to that? Well, I, I came across a book called Canoeing the Mountains. Now, this series is not going to be covering the ideas in that book. And it's a weird phrase, right? I've never heard the verb canoeing before. 
uh, in my life. But, but it's a helpful metaphor, and so I want to lay it out quickly, and then I want us to move into some ideas that are about our church in this moment, in this community, on this day. The, the idea of canoeing the mountains is basically... That if you think back, and, and you may not, this, this is, uh, you know, some, some history lessons that maybe we've forgotten, but Lewis and Clark, right? Thomas Jefferson sends them out after the Louisiana Purchase, and what he's really wanting them to find is a waterway that will connect the Pacific Ocean to the Mississippi River. This is all about commerce. It's about having control, and it's about exerting power, and whoever finds this waterway that will connect the Pacific Ocean to the Mississippi is going to rule the world, in the new world. And it's, it's a race. And it's not just the uh, you know, young Americans. You've got uh, France and, and Spain and Britain. They're all trying to figure this out. So Jefferson sends Lewis and Clark to do this. And they go, 45 of them. They get ready. They take canoes. Because the whole point is they expect that when they kind of get to the midpoint of the continent, when they get to that continental divide, it's going to look exactly like everything that's come before it towards the east. So when they get to this place in Montana called the Lehmai Pass, they're expecting to look up over the mountains and see this gentle slope down to the Pacific. When they get up there, guess what they see for the first time? The Rocky Mountains. Uh-oh. There is no water passage. So then they have to work with Sacagawea, and she finds them some horses, because that works better than canoes. And think about how that story would have gone if they first had just said, nope, there's obviously no water passage, we're done. Or if they had tried to canoe the mountains. Right? They, they would have stayed right there. They would have never been able to move forward. And you've, you've got to grasp how unsettling that was for them. Everybody believed for certain there was a water passage. Their whole world changes when they get up and they look and all they see is the Rocky Mountains. That's kind of similar to the moment we find ourselves in. Not just in church, in every area of your life. Things are moving so fast that there's things you expected to be true that you're finding out aren't true. There's things that you expected to rely on that you can't rely on. And so now you have to figure out, okay, if the world's not exactly the way I wanted it to be or expected it to be, and it's for sure not exactly the way the world was, now what? you got to develop new ways of seeing and moving through the world. I want to read a quote from this book, and it's the only quote we'll be reading. But I want you to hear these words. To be sure, this is an adapt or die moment. This is a moment when most of our backs are against the wall and we are unsure if the church will survive to the next generation. By the way, the church is always in danger of not making it to the next generation. The answer is not to try harder, but to start a new adventure. To see not the absence of a water route, but the discovery of a new uncharted land beckoning us forward. Yes, in the face of the uncertainties, the fears, and the potential losses, but to learn and be transformed. Now, I know that feels like a really direct, blunt, and maybe overly dark quote. But I want to tell you a couple things. In 2019, before COVID, the best estimates that sociologists could find 
was that in the United States of America, somewhere between 100 to 200 churches were closing their doors every week. 100 to 200 churches every week. In the wake of the pandemic, these are numbers that are difficult to, to, to get, but every church that has responded to national surveys indicates that nearly every congregation in the wake of, of the pandemic and having to shut down and all of that, they're running 30% smaller in their membership and they have a corresponding 30% drop in their giving. And when you take those numbers and you add them to 100 to 200 churches that were closing every week before the pandemic, nobody even knows what the, what the actual real number is, but they know it's a lot worse. Now, I'm not saying that to scare you. And by the way, in a lot of ways, our church has been able, through, through God's grace, to hold on in ways that a lot of other churches haven't been able to. This is not some roundabout way to talk about giving and scare you into giving. Stop, stop worrying. There's no angle, okay? I'm telling you that putting our heads in the sand and pretending the world isn't changing because it scares us that the world is changing is the quickest way for our church to die. And I know a church like Southern Hills feels inevitable, I mean, the church that once had Rick Ashley as its preacher can't ever die. <laughs> right? Every time we get nervous, every time I get nervous, I'm in a room with people and we're talking. Guess what we're primarily talking about to comfort ourselves about the future? Guess what kind of stories we're telling? Nostalgia stories. Stories about the past, stories when the auditorium was full, one, two, three times a Sunday morning, when we didn't have enough parking spot. We talk about an old world. We're talking about 1990s Church of Christ. And it wasn't just here. It was easier for every Church of Christ everywhere in North America in 1990. You had a decent preacher and a, and a decent song leader. You were good to go. The world has changed. We got to face it. And, and, and we got to figure out how to do it with courage and confidence, not wait until things change so rapidly and it's gone so far down the road that we're forced to make a change. Uh, Dr. Charles Seibert, Seibert, one of my favorite professors at ACU, said to me, Jared, just remember this. People never change when they see the light. They only change when they start feeling the heat. That's when it's too late. I need us to see the light. I need us to see the light. And what I want to I say to you is I think we need to make four, and this again, this is just me. I want to see us make four choices about priorities that I think will help us stop trying to canoe the mountains and figure out how to hike better to get where we're trying to go. And the first is this. I want us to be a church that chooses connection over content. I didn't say chooses connection instead of content. You might have heard me say that. I didn't say that. Connection over content. Growing up in the Churches of Christ, the primary focus, at least rhetorically, was we were the people with the right content. You came to our church to receive the right content, 
Fellowship happened around it. Relational connection happened around the preaching in the Bible classes, but it was like a side effect of people being gathered together because of teaching and study. And teaching and study are absolutely, I've dedicated my life to be able to, to do that. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of content. What I'm telling you is, because of the technological changes in our world, if you think that our church has a future based on content well delivered, you haven't gotten on YouTube lately. You can get good content, truth-filled content, anytime, any place, from anybody. You don't need a church for content, but you do need a church for connection. I want us to look at a few passages here. John 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are focused, obsessed with the right content. And he says, the father who sent me testifies about me. You have never even heard his voice or seen his form. And you don't have his word dwelling with you. Because you don't believe the one whom he has sent. You examine the scriptures since you think that in them you have eternal life. They testify about me. They talk about me. Right? The content there is solid gold. It's about Jesus. But... But he says, you don't want to come to me so that you can have life. Jesus was a living, breathing example of the life that God describes in the Old Testament law. He was the law lived out. They didn't see that because they were too busy trying to look up the book, chapter, and verse to prove him wrong. And he's not diminishing the role of the scriptures. He's trying to help them understand that that scriptures are always the foundation, but they're never the finish line. A Jesus-shaped life is. And he's right there showing them what that life looks like. And they're too busy being experts in a subject instead of connecting with God's person. Okay, Acts 4. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, but about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. This is one of the the few places in Acts where instead of just telling a bunch of different stories, Luke kind of summarizes what's going on. The other major summaries in Acts chapter 2, you may remember that. It says they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think you and I, when we hear that phrase, we think that means they studied the scriptures. I think it means they were trying to live out the kind of life the apostles were preaching about. And then the focus is on shared life, community, and not just time, but resources. And, and they have a shared dream. 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, Knowledge makes people arrogant. Love builds people up. In the NIV it says, Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Paul, of all people, cares about content. But he believes it's a foundation that leads you somewhere. It's to share this life. And if Jesus' words and the life of the first century church and the apostle Paul's instruction all help us realize that, look, both connection and content matter. But when we settle for content alone... Where does, that, where does that take us? Where does that take us? 
for too much of my life, I have wanted to be a, a student of Jesus more than someone who helps other people encounter Jesus when they're in the same room with me. And I, I heard from heroes in my faith statements that made me believe that the most important thing about church was to be kind of a, an education place where we read good things and we talked about good things. But brothers, sometimes I worry we're so good at talking about stuff, we convinced ourselves we've actually done something about the stuff we're talking about. The gospel content is this. God created us to be in loving relationship with him and one another, and we chose a different way because we thought we knew a better way, and God wouldn't let the story end like that, and he tried to reach us and in all kinds of ways, through all kinds of voices, and eventually it got to the place where he had to send himself here in the form of his son to help us see what he was talking about, to repair the broken relationship that we had with God and with one another. In other words, the content of the gospel is connection. It's the gospel lived out among us. And when we tell one another and we tell people in the world we want to be the, the men and the women and the children who do everything in our power to love God with everything we are and everything we have and to love our neighbors the way we want to we be loved. And then we mistreat people because we're scared that we're losing social standing and power. And we, we talk to people in ways that are indefensible and we try to defend it because it's all we... It's all we know to hold on to for any, any type of actual hope in this world that feels like it's moving on and it's moving away from us. Every time we do that, every time we think that we can, in this arrogant way, tell people that the problem with their lives is their content, we risk never connecting with them. Church isn't about sitting around, talking about ideas, and then going to lunch. Church is about sharing the ideas of God always with the hope that it's going to change the way we treat one another. Look, we're, we're trying to learn here. We are. But we're not just trying to learn information. We're trying to learn wisdom. We, we have far too much access to both true and untrue information. And it's really hard to tell a difference, right? You can trust that the information we're encountering in Scripture is true. But if it's only information, if it's not lived wisdom, what good is it? good is it? I need to know not that in the Bible Jesus says that we need to be people of forgiveness. I need to see what forgiveness looks like when you do the work alongside of me of forgiving somebody who's hurt you. And I need to model something for you that you need to see in living color, not on the page. You need to see it lived out so that you can believe it's possible. It's easy for us to read stories about Jesus and say, well, he was Jesus. But if Mark Fertell lives grace in front of me when it's difficult, and he has, then it's really hard for me to decide I don't have to try to grow in that grace as well. I need that connection. 
It's, it's one of the things that this pandemic has shown us more than anything else. Content well delivered is not enough. It's not enough. It never has been. It never will be. We're trying to learn here. We're trying to learn how to love like Jesus. And that takes sharing life. More than just sharing ideas. So, so here's what I want you to know as I'm thinking through this. I want us to invest time and energy and even our, our finances as a church in creating ways for us to connect. So that we can, you know, sometimes I feel like we, we're almost embarrassed if we have a time of fellowship without a Bible study somewhere in it. Have you ever felt that before? Like people aren't going to show up to a fellowship. It's just a fellowship. It's the fellowship of the saints. You don't think Jesus shows up when saints fellowship? You, you don't think that in some way theologically that when we sit around and have, have a shared meal together in the fellowship hall, you don't think that's connected to the communion table somehow? I know it's the white lifetime tables. Those are communion tables in that moment. It's the fellowship of the saints. Since when is that something to, to apologize about? So I want to, these are normally announcements, but I'm going to, we're going to include them in the sermon here. Okay? Here are chances for you to be here and connect that are all coming up in the next several weeks. And I want to say this to you. I'm not expecting anybody in this room to be at everything. I mean, I, I suppose you could get to a place where you really have overconnected with me in a given week. But I, I don't want any, every, anyone to feel the pressure to be at everything. I do want you to make a decision of what you're going to be at so that you can connect. So that we can share life together. So that we can show one another what Jesus looks like. Okay? The first is kids eat free. It's still going on. I think at this point we basically fed a thousand meals a week. In the name of Jesus for people who need it. There's still time for you to be a part of it. I know it's hard sometimes to be someplace at lunchtime during the week, but we've had a great team of people. It's not always the same team. I'm telling you, some of my, my best memories growing up in church were intergenerational service opportunities where I got to meet people who weren't my age, who came from different places, and we served alongside of each other, and we saw glimpses of Jesus in one another. Wednesday worship nights, the 11th and 25th, look, I get it. We don't all love to worship in the same ways, but we do all love to worship the same God. And these worship nights, they're, they're, they're instrumental worship. Not everybody in this room wants to do that. I get it, but you know what? On a random Wednesday in August, we had about 200 people in here of all ages worshiping. If you can't stand the instrumental worship part, just come a little late, but at least visit afterwards. Right? 200 people. Our, most of our youth group was here. If you don't know our youth group, you're missing out. Get here. I don't care. I get it. I'm kind of that get off my lawn guy. I get it. Get over it. Okay, back to school bash. I'm not a bash guy. I'll be there. Just going to leave it at that, Okay. Women of the Word study group, guess what, on the 9th, guess what that class, what form it's going to take on the 9th. Have you read the bulletin? It's a brunch. You might be tempted to say it's just a brunch. No, it's a fellowship of the saints. 
Life groups. Talked about it last week. Josh did a great job talking about the importance of community, connection. We need to be known and needed. Look, you may already be in one. We're not going to kick you out. Amen? Okay. If you're not in one, we need you to get in one. I don't mean we need you to get in one just for you. We need you to get in one for other people here. They need to encounter Christ in you. That's formally starting on the, the 12th. And then we've got a men's iron sharpens iron event. Are the handers here? They travel all the time in the summer, so they may not be. If you've never been to a, a, a party hosted by Mark Hanner, you haven't lived yet. Right? You need to go. The food's always great. The company's always great. The scenery's beautiful. He's got the gift of hospitality. The whole family does. Right? These are all ways to connect. And I know we're busy and we got a lot going on and we look at stuff in the bulletin and we think, I, I, the school's about to fire up. I get all that. You don't need a church to learn new content. You need a church to connect in new ways to God through your fellow brothers and sisters. And if we're going to be relevant in this world, we can't just keep trying to be instructors and teachers of ideas. We've got to live a life and make sure people realize because of the Holy Spirit among us, it's actually possible. Let's stand and sing.